supposed to work. Uh, frequently, though, our faith seems to come up short. It doesn't seem able to span the gulf that exists between us and him. In this series, we're talking about how to span that gap that seems to exist between God and us, and we'll discover a four-step approach that will turn our face toward God and enable us to draw closer to him. It begins with, I look at me, and then you look at me. Again, this is drawn up in a way that it's between God and us. Then you speak to me, and I speak to you. I look at me, then you look at me, then you speak to me, and I speak to you. And that's faith lifts, give us the opportunity to, again, span the gap that exists, seems to exist between us and him. Last week, we began by talking about I look at me. It's difficult to access to assess all the things that happened inside of us. We're very complex as people. And to be able to be in touch with all the different things, all the different thoughts that we have is difficult. Uh, fortunately, there are individuals who can help us to identify what is difficult for many of us to see. And James is one of them. James was Jesus' half-brother. And again, he was his half-brother because they have the same mother, different father. Uh, James had to, come had to come to terms with how he could have grown up with Jesus and not believed him. Imagine that. So when Jesus goes to the cross and rises from the dead, then James is put in position, did I really say that to him that time? And did I really do that to God in human form? He has to make sense in his mind how that could have happened. Um, we read in John that his own brothers did not believe in him. So, James has to look back on the good times and the not-so-good times. He has to think of Jesus as his older brother, being angry at him. And he couldn't do what you and I are able to do. He had it coming. I mean, if Jesus is your brother, no, he didn't have it coming. You know, because he didn't do anything wrong. But And so we kind of rely on that kind of thing. You know, but James couldn't do that. He had to wrestle with the fact that God in human form lived under his roof. And he missed him. The wisdom that James gains from looking at his own soul and his own belief, I think can help us. Um, that's why we begin with James in terms of looking at ourselves. Look what it says in James 4, 1 through 6. I think there is some understanding. I think James is bringing these things up because he dealt with them. And I think he's trying to understand belief and how his own internal process got in the way. So let's think of James not just talking about these things, but looking in at himself and trying to explain to himself and to us. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, 
you do not receive. Because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You're right, you adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think, Scripture says without reason, that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely, but he gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. James traced his unbelief. I think what he saw, he was caught in a whirlpool of craving, contempt, and conflict. Craving, contempt, conflict. Craving, contempt, conflict. Craving. Desires here is not wanting anything bad or good. It's just wanting something. It can be bad. It can be good. But what craving is about is wanting. Craving. Craving and when the things we want are not received, that leads to contempt. Unfulfilled desires create contempt, which creates conflict, craving, contempt, conflict, craving, contempt, conflict, craving, contempt, conflict. I think that's what James sees. It talks about, or do you think the scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? There are two words for envy. One simple envy, and one is an intense envy. We might call it an infected envy. We talked about it last week. Simple envy is I want something that somebody else has. Simple. You have a car I want. You have clothes I want. You have this or that that I want. That's simple envy. But then there's infected envy, and it's envy when you are continually exposed to the fact that somebody has something that you want, and you don't have it, and that stews for a while. It's like with a mosquito bite. You got a mosquito bite, it's going to be mosquito season pretty soon. And you got a mosquito bite, simple, just a mosquito bite. But you know what happens? What will happen if you do this too too long? Watch out, it will get infected, and then you've got a different thing. Envy can be simple. I just want what you have. But then let that sit. Let the envy sit. And it turns into something else, something a little darker, something that's infected. Now, not only do I have what you, I want what you have, but I resent you for having it. And I get angry that you have it and I don't. That's infected envy. That's intense envy. Um, and that's what James talks about. Or do you think the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? James looks inside and sees his agitation is like a whirlpool. Craving. Wanting something. Contempt when he doesn't have it. Conflict he fights. That's what he identifies. When he doesn't get what he wants, he wants it bad enough, he becomes contemptuous. He observes this pattern in himself and others. He wishes it weren't so, but he has to admit the truth. You and I, we deal with this. And we're going to see a clip from a a short two-and-a-half-minute thing about monkeys. We've seen it before, but it kind of depicts how deep, how deep this contempt is. James talks about the spirit he caused to live in us enemies intensely. What that means is that we will all deal with comparisons and cucumbers. Comparisons and cucumbers. Um, 
we will compare ourselves with others, and when they have things that we would like to have but don't, we will blame them. You can throw cucumbers in a couple of different directions. You can throw cucumbers at others, and that's about resentment. And it's when I'm angry with you, and I want to punish you because you have something I don't have, and I'm angry at you, and I want to say bad things about you. Or some of us, we throw cucumbers at ourselves, and that's remorse. We throw cucumbers at ourselves. It's because I'm this type of person, because I'm that type of person. That's why I don't have what I would want. That's why I'm it's being withheld from me and given. So we throw cucumbers at others, or we throw cucumbers at ourselves. Here's the question. Do we have enough faith to be honest about these internal realities? That is really not enough that we can get that will keep us from getting angry at others, blaming others. Again, when did envy first begin to exist? In the Garden of Eden. And if you remember, did envy exist before sin or after it? They wanted fruit from the tree before. So we can be raised in a perfect place, a perfect environment, and still want what we don't have. The spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely. That's what James came to see. He looked inside and he said, you know what? The deal with me is it's not the specific things that I want. It's a generalized sense that when I don't get what I want, I need to blame someone. And I went through my life blaming me and others, and I think what James came to see, and that was part of the reason why I was never able to accept who my older brother was. I think he got in the way. Um... James talked about God gives grace to the humble. In the Bible, humble doesn't mean to be self-effacing. It means that you can't use what you have to get what you want. We might want out of this cycle of being contemptuous when we don't get what we want, but what James came to see, it's kind of hardwired in us. It's something that we can resist, but not for very long. So the question is, can we hold the reality of our contempt? By the way, I think what this would indicate if monkeys deal with it, you and I deal with this. We deal with contempt, and we will kind of blame ourselves or blame others. There's some things we could do. We could hold that and hold God's hand, and this is what I'm going to recommend, but some of us, it's hard to hold, and so we hide it. We experience the contempt, but we pretend that we don't. How are you doing? I'm fine. I'm good. Praise God. I get everything I need. Anything you don't have? No, no, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. We hide it. There's things that we want that we don't have, but we pretend. Or some of us, we don't hide it. We hurl it. Well, I'd be fine if I didn't have to work with him. I mean, it's, I'd be, I'd be good if I didn't have to live next to him or her or, and so we can either hide or hurl, but there's another thing JC came up with, we huddle, which is, boy, I'm really glad we're us and we're not them. <laughs> you know, we might have it bad, you know, we might not have what we want, but we're not them. So we hide and we hurl and we huddle. 
And you know what James would have us to do? Hold. Hold. Hold the reality that we are hardwired to kind of be resentful and hold his hand at the same time. That sounds kind of weird. Jesus was really good at being honest, really good at being honest with himself about what he saw. He could look inside and see things and not be frightened by them. It was a week before he was going to die. And this is what he does. He looked inside and he says, my heart's agitated. Now, time out, Jesus. (laughs) This is less than a week before you're going to die. And your heart's agitated? Uh, I think you better get busy and maybe calm down that agitation. Try. That's what we end up doing when we see things. We automatically try to figure out how we can get over. You know what Jesus did? My heart's agitated. Just observed it. Didn't judge it. Wasn't frightened by it. He wasn't frightened by his sense of agitation. And what he ends up saying is, um, what should I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. For this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Um, he had the courage. You know what he did? Jesus did. He was able to hold the reality of what he was dealing with himself. You know why? Because he was holding the Father's hand in the other hand. You can do this, by the way. You can live with things that you want and don't have. And it's easier when you hold this hand. That's why it begins with, I look at me, and then we'll look at, um, you look at me. Um, where do we get the courage to admit to God and ourselves what's going on inside? Um, where do we get the courage to see what James saw? Again, James says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something but don't get it. You kill and covet but cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. The courage to be honest about what's inside comes from the face of God. Now we look at... You look at me. Look what it says in James 4. Nope. In Hebrews 4, 12, verses 5, chapter 5, verse 2. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. When we see what God, when we look up and see God looking at us, first we, I look at me and we admit the reality that when we have different desires inside, when they're frustrated, we have a problem with that. When we look at ourselves, then when we think about, well, you look at me, a couple things will say, you see me, you sympathize with me, you deal gently with me. And that's when we think of having observed ourselves. Now we see him observing us and we think of, you see me. You sympathize with me. 
You deal gently with me. This is the second part of the, the faith lift. You see me. It says the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. It indicates that God judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. If you look at a tree with a root system, a trunk, and branches, the thoughts are the root system. The attitudes are the trunk. The branches are the fruit. Thoughts, attitudes, actions. Thoughts are opinions about God that we kind of keep to ourselves. We're talking uniquely about what we think about when we think about God. That's the thoughts. The, the Word of God judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. What do we think about God? What's our mental representation of God? Our thoughts. That's the root system. That's where everything comes from. From that root system comes attitudes. Attitudes are our response to God's will based on our thoughts about Him. And then... Actions are the result of our thoughts and attitudes. Thoughts, attitudes, actions. We tend to judge one another based on what we see. God doesn't do that. God judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Our mental representation of him and our response to his will based on our representation of him. Um, James says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? And what he understood, James couldn't say he made me do it. Mom, Jesus is being mean to me. Jesus, you stop that right now. You know, that's, that's not going to happen. <laughs> that's not going to happen in that fight. Jesus was God in human form. It wasn't Jesus' fault. Um, and had to face his own desires. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and cover. But you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. God sees this contempt. You know why? It seems to indicate that he put it there. Well, do you think Scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? The spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely. Are you hearing what that's saying? If he caused a spirit to live in us that envies intensely, is he going to be surprised when he sees it? What is he going to imagine when we say, oh, everything's fine? What he's going to see? No, it isn't. Because I put a spirit in you that envies intensely. And your issue is either that you can't see it or you do see it but can't admit it. When God sees you, he understands why we feel the things we feel. It would be really nice if we could just want one thing. 
then life would be simple. God, I just want this. When we look at ourselves, a lot of times we see things and we see things that point in different directions. Would you agree? I want this, but I also want that. I want to experience this, and I want to experience that. We feel like the scarecrow in the Wizard of Oz. Which way should I go? This way. That's describing us. And when we feel the tension of these divided desires, we become resentful. Why can't I have what I want? It's because I'm a bad person. Because he's a bad person. Because you're a bad person. We can't have what we want because we don't want one thing. Our desires are divided. If our desires are divided, can we get what we want? If our desires are divided, can we get what we want? What's the answer? No, they're divided. And they're not the same. And you know what that means? At some level, we're going to come to God if we're honest with ourselves. We're going to look at ourselves and say, I'm frustrated. I both want to stay in this place and don't. God, I'm confused. That's right. You are confused. And I see it. I understand that you're confused. Do you trust me enough to be honest with me about your confusion? That's the secret. That's the secret. Can we trust God enough to be honest with him about what's happening inside? He already sees it. We tend to pretend or be afraid or be ashamed. But he sees it all the time. That's what I think James comes to understand. I look at me, I see craving, contempt, and conflict, comparison, and cucumbers. You look at me, and you see me, and you see the intense envy that's hardwired within. And what God wants is to help us to deal with it. He wants to help us to learn not to hide or hurl or huddle. Here's what God wants to help us to do to hold the reality of our frustrated desires and to hold his hand at the same time and to do this a day at a time, day at a time, day at a time. Hold the reality of what we feel inside and hold his hand at the same time. That's what he wants for us. So that's when So I think about you see me and you sympathize with me. It says in Hebrews, for we do not have a high priest who was unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. When you listen to this verse, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Nothing. Everything is uncovered and laid bare. Let me tell you what those words mean. Uncovered means to be naked. Nothing hidden. Laid bare is the word that describes an animal who exposes its neck. When an animal exposes its neck, it is very vulnerable. And when we look at this, this is a frightening image. God sees you. You are uncovered and naked before him, even like an animal who is exposed. He sees deep into you. And God's knowledge makes us feel vulnerable. Would you agree? Here's the interesting part. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. Sympathizes with our weaknesses. That's what we say. Think of somebody who's sympathetic. 
Think of somebody sympathetic. Okay? I want you to each get that person's name in your mind. Do you see them? You have a problem? There's something you're dealing with? You're confused? It's not an easy answer. There's somebody you could go to if there was an easy answer. It's not an easy answer. It's sticky. You're going to go to somebody who's not going to give you a quick spiritual fix-it thing. You're going to have to talk with somebody that's going to be able to stay with you. Do you have that person? Do you understand who that person is? Tell me. They're sympathetic, right? And with somebody who's sympathetic, they don't feel frightening. And if somebody's sympathetic, what you can do, what you find yourself doing, is wanting to open up with them about it. You want to talk with them. They're sympathetic. They feel the same things. Jesus sympathizes with you. That's what it says. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He sees you. That might feel vulnerable until you look in his eyes. And you know what you're going to see in Jesus' eyes? You're not going to see this. You're not going to see this. You're going to see this. He's not afraid for you. We feel messed up inside. He's not frightened. He knows how you feel the things you feel. Not scared. He understands what it's going to be like in the future. He has the ability. He knows his father changes us like this. He's, uh, we tend to think of God as being alarmed, don't we? I want to tell you something. God knows exactly what you're dealing with and is not alarmed at all. He understands the things inside of us. Um, he not only sees us and sympathizes with us, he deals gently with us. Look what it says. Every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray. Ignorant and are going astray, that's a word that describes sheep. Anybody know anything about sheep? Ever deal with sheep? Anybody? Um, ignorant and going astray is the inevitable byproduct of having sheep on their own. That they don't know the right thing to do. And they will always wander off the course into something they shouldn't be wandering into. And so the ignorant of going astray, ignorant and going astray is the natural consequence of being sheep without a shepherd. Um, shepherds understand that sheep will naturally become anxious. And that's why a good shepherd will cultivate something very interesting. I've told you this before, but I'll talk a little bit about it. Voice recognition. What a sheep will, a shepherd will go to a lot of work to create a bond so that their voice becomes soothing to the sheep. It's evolved over a period of time that the sheep identifies the voice of the shepherd with safety. It's built slowly, experience by experience, until it gets to a place where we're told that it is able to take a sheep and start to calm it down. He calls his sheep by name, and they follow him, because they've learned to associate the shepherd with comfort, with security. And what we know is this takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time to do this, to 
to create that kind of bond, but a shepherd knows that that's what they'll do. So a sheep is wandering around in something, and the shepherd calls the sheep name, and all of a sudden the sheep starts to calm and become responsive, follows the shepherd. The sheep gets into those things. He calls the name, and calmness comes, and the sheep comes. You know what God wants in the midst of you and me being in places in our minds that don't feel very safe? Confusion? He wants to develop the relationship where Donna starts to quiet and come towards him. I need to talk to somebody sympathetic. We open our Brian. Dan. He wants to see, he wants for you to see him seeing you. I see you. I sympathize with you. I deal gently with you. Look at my eyes. Look at my eyes. I am not afraid for you. I'm not afraid for you. I want you to speak to me. I want you to open your heart to me. I know you're afraid. Alyssa. I know you're afraid. John. James. Galen. Personal. Calls his own sheep by name. That's the kind of relationship God wants to develop with you. In the midst of frightening things, that he becomes the solution rather than the problem. Sometimes we, we, we imagine that he is just waiting to... No, it's not him. Not him. Um, a good shepherd knows that sheep need to be treated gently because he understands that sheep require a great deal of care. Uh, this is how Jesus relates to you and I, by the way. It says in Matthew 9, 36 through 35 and 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He was just in a place, in a community, downtown. People going to work, going from here to there, buying things, and it looked like just a community downtown Sioux Falls. And you know what Jesus saw? It's what a shepherd sees. Distress and helpless, distressed and downcast like sheep without a shepherd, scurrying here and there. And when God looks at us, that's what he sees. Sheep without a shepherd. And that's why he wants to understand. He wants us to look at ourselves. I look at me and observe the things that are true. Then he wants us to see him looking at us. And you see me. You sympathize with me. You deal gently with me. Um, By the way, do you know the difference between, I've said this before, the difference between a good shepherd and a bad shepherd you know how to distinguish between the two? A bad shepherd, when sheep get in trouble, a bad shepherd will talk about bad sheep. A bad shepherd will talk about bad sheep. What, what happened? They're just bad sheep. That's a bad shepherd. You know what a good shepherd will talk about? Bad shepherds. Because sheep naturally need a lot of care. And if shepherds aren't taking care of their sheep, that's why the sheep get into trouble. 
It's because, not because it's not the sheep's fault, it's the bad shepherd. How do we apply this? Um, let me ask the worship team to come up, and we're going to apply this step by step. Apply a piece at a time. Step number one, I look at me. And what I do, I observe the things in me. And I try not to judge. I try to observe. You know, God, it's confusing. I want this and that. I want to retire and I don't. I want a bunch more money, but I'm kind of afraid of it. I both like this and I don't like this. We feel confused. I look at me. I try to do this. And so then I look at me. Then you look at me. And what we think of three things. you remember these three things? Do you know what the three things are? Can you call them to mind? Three things when you think of God's looking at you. You look at me. Do you have the three things in your mind? I'm going to ask you to remember these and think about them. So after you've observed the first one, what is it? You see me. I want you to think about God seeing you. And when you and when you do that, God, you see me. You understand why I want this and that. Why I'm both afraid and not afraid. You get me. You see me. That's the first thing. You see me. The second thing, can you recall it? You sympathize with me. Not only do you see it, you understand it. You came into this world and put on a suit of human clothes. You understand what it's like to be pulled. You understand anxiety and agitation. You see me. You sympathize with me. You get the third one? You deal gently. And I'll tell you, by, I'll tell you, by the way, when you've looked at yourself and kind of felt the, and then God, you see me. You understand why I'm pulled hither and yon. And you sympathize with me. You're not anxious, and you and you deal gently with me. You're moving in the direction of decreasing the distance between you and God. That's what faith lifts do. And then we're going to look next week at, okay, there's four things. Remember? The first thing is I. I look at me. Then, secondly, you look at me. I think of three things. What's the first? What's the second? What's the third? And then you speak to me. That's what we're going to talk about next week. And what he say is, be still. Be still. And then the fourth thing, we talk to him. First, let that lyric remind us of who you are. That's where really it starts, level of thoughts. And that's what you, Jesus, came to tell us about your father. Not just you love us, but when the Father and the Spirit, your love is all the same. It's not that one likes us and one doesn't. You are who you are. And you are a shepherd. You would have us see ourselves and admit the reality of what's there. It can be frustrating. But then you would have us see you regarding us, seeing us. Understanding that you see us and sympathize you deal gently with us. You would remind us of who you are. Pray that we would see that so that we would be able to trust in you and develop a relationship with you, an honest one. Continue to teach us about yourself. In Jesus' name, amen.